This is the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of our world's toughest business challenges. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. Roberta and Lucia are taking a summer break, so today you'll hear a popular episode from the McKinsey Consumer and Retail Podcast. It's about creating good packaging for packaged goods and features McKinsey senior partner David Fieber and Amcor CEO and Managing Director Ron D'Elia. The conversation is led by Monica Toriello. I'd love to start this conversation with a pretty specific and maybe provocative question. And we can use that as a jumping off point for a broader discussion. So here's the question. Is there any type of packaging we have today that basically has no future? Like in five or 10 years, it won't exist at all. (laughs) Well, that's a tricky one to start with. I think the packaging that won't have a future are the ones that really, truly are not sustainable and super resource intensive and have better solutions that are coming up behind them. I would say that the packaging that um, may not have a future is is any packaging that doesn't provide a function that can be provided by something else. I mean, it's a pretty basic answer, but I think it's that simple. You know, if I if I think about the packaging that Amcor makes, which is all primary packaging, so we make primary packaging for consumer products, food, beverages, primarily, and healthcare, medical devices, and pharmaceuticals. And when I say primary, I mean the package touches the product as opposed to an outer shipper or container or um, anything like that. So, you know, if I think about the role that our packaging plays, there's a number of different things from extending shelf life to facilitating distribution to making it easier for the consumer to use, et cetera. And it's, you know, it's not clear that there's another way to provide all those functions and all those benefits to the consumer without the package. Now, you could just take that a few steps further and think about other forms of packaging um, and what role they play and then ask yourself is there another way to provide that functionality if the answer is yes then you may not see packaging and it could be for environmental reasons it could also be for cost reasons so i, I think that's the lens i would look through yeah I, it's a great point and i think as we look forward especially on the cost side and we think of um e-commerce acceleration we will continue to see uh uh, optimization across primary, secondary, and tertiary packaging to make things more efficient to ship direct to consumers. On the flip side of that, what is the future of packaging? And David, you've already mentioned e-commerce, so maybe we'll take that trend to start. And there are lots of considerations and opportunities there, right? The packaging should be tamper-proof and leak-proof. It should be easy to ship. But also, depending on the product, maybe it should give the consumer a nice, pleasant, unboxing experience, right? They get the thing delivered, they open it up, it looks nice, they feel good about buying it, they'll buy it again. So talk a little bit about how the rise in e-commerce is changing packaging. E-commerce has really hit a tipping point, especially in some parts of the world, the United States, for example, where we saw a really big acceleration in one big category that hadn't really experienced a lot of e-commerce, which was the grocery category that had a lot of packaged goods. I mean, it went from almost nothing, 3% of all sales to close to 17% of all sales. And we see this trend continuing and reaching up to 20% of all sales within the next five years. This puts a really different demand on the package. Uh, A lot of packages haven't been designed to be shipped direct to consumer and they've been reboxed or repackaged. And there's been um, a really strong focus to try and improve this. 
I, I think it creates more demands on the package. And so if you just take a, a grocery item, um, you know, you pick it. It could be pasta sauce in a rigid container. It could be, um, it could be rice or, or something like that that's in a flexible package. I mean, everything that that package does in a traditional bricks-and-mortar retail channel, it has to do through the e-commerce channel and then some. The package needs to be stronger to, to protect against the demands of the e-commerce channel. Whether it's promoting the product, it needs to be compelling in that moment of truth when the consumer opens the outer shipper. You know, they're, they're not faced with a wall of, of uh, presentations on shelf in retail. They're open in the box, and that's where the moment of truth comes. And, you know, what we know from brand owners is they, they, they believe that's even more important when the product's being sold through the e-commerce channel than when it is at retail. There's just not as much to support it when it's coming out of a box by itself. So everything that we're doing today becomes that much more important and that much more demanding through the e-commerce channel. The transition or the migration from glass to plastic in many categories <clears throat> is for a number of reasons, including the environmental footprint and the cost, but also thinking about shipping a glass container through the e-commerce channel is a whole different proposition than shipping a plastic container through the e-commerce channel. So that, that's just an example of um, an adaptation that was probably evolving anyway. The migration from glass to plastic in most categories has been you know, well and truly underway for a long time. But it also supports this move towards the e-commerce channel and in a way that creates a robust package for the consumer. Okay, let's talk about sustainability. That's one of the huge trends, right? two things are equally true about consumers, right? One is they're concerned about sustainability in packaging, but they're also confused. And David, I'll quote from one of your articles, the one titled, uh, True Packaging Sustainability, Understanding the Performance Trade-Offs. Your article says this, it's not always well understood by consumers or regulators that the material with the smallest carbon footprint does not always have the highest recyclability or the highest use of recycled content. And this requires packaging companies to make a decision on which aspects of sustainability to prioritize. Now that's complicated. How should companies be weighing these trade-offs? David, maybe talk about how you've advised companies and then Ron can maybe talk about how his company is weighing those trade-offs. When we step back and think about sustainability, there's three big concerns on the world's mind. One is that we're going to use up the resources of the world if we keep this linear economy of taking it out of the world and Earth using it once and putting it back. So there's a real focus on circularity and recyclability and recycled content. The second one has been we're producing too, ma too many greenhouse gases and we're going to have an issue and so decarbonizing the world. And the third has been we just fundamentally have too much plastic waste. The challenge is, is that no single package is good at addressing all three of these concerns. And depending on what the application is or where you are in the world, um, one of those is typically more important than the other two. I know, um, I think, Ron, I noticed that you recently um, started um, discussing putting carbon footprint on your own packaging. What, what's driving this? I, look, it's an idea to help educate the, the consumer. I mean, I think you, you mentioned, David, that they're, they're concerned and confused, um, and rightly so. And, and there is a role to be played by the industry in providing information in terms of, like, what resources go into the production of the package. It's one of those things that is maybe counterintuitive, but in many formats, plastic will actually have the lower greenhouse gas and therefore the lower environmental impact as long as you're doing the right thing at the end. <clears throat> and if we can create this circular loop, um, without question, it's the better environmental story because you can make most of our plastic packaging 
with recycled plastic. So the, the idea would be to help educate people on the total impact of the package, um, including the greenhouse gas profile. Plastic packaging has gotten a bad rap, right? Consumers perceive it as being worse. They don't fully understand the differences in plastic. How do you view it? I mean, how does Amcor think about plastic? Will it disappear? Will it stick around? What's the role in the future? I don't think plastic for plastic's sake has ever been the driver of the growth in plastic over the last several decades. I think it's plastic has evolved to meet the consumer's requirements. And if that's still true going forward, then I think plastic has a big role. I, I also believe that when it comes to the environmental profile, there's not any reason why the plastic packaging has to be disadvantaged. Most plastic packaging can be made with recycled material and most can be designed to be recycled or composted at the end. Now the infrastructure is not always there and the consumer may not understand that yet, but over time those two things will be addressed. So I think there's absolutely a future for, for plastic as in the segments and categories where it, it plays a unique role. Yeah, I do too. I think it comes back to the education point of consumers. The consumer should not have to feel uh, guilty or concerned about the package that they're using. And in some cases, that's just, the, that's just a behavioral thing to get people to recycle things that can easily be recycled today. So take a plastic bottle in the United States, a beverage container. Um, we only collect about 30% of those. There's really no reason for that. The infrastructure exists. So the impediment is, is just getting the, the consumer to change their behavior and, 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 and feel good about it or not feel bad necessarily about that, that particular package. But what's exciting for us is a world where they don't have to think about it because the environmental profile is such that, you know, it's at least neutral uh, in terms of its impact on the environment. You know, the other thing about consumers is that they're concerned about sustainability, but it's actually pretty low on their list of buying factors. So, David, the consumer research that you did showed that when U.S. consumers buy something, they consider price, quality, brand, convenience, and then packaging and environmental impact is pretty far down that list. Uh, and even when consumers say they're willing to pay more for sustainable packaging, that hasn't always played out in real life, right? Do you think that'll change? Will consumers start to become more willing to pay? And then how should companies think about willingness to pay when they're making decisions about sustainable packaging? The silver lining in all of that is that the consumer sentiment, as we tested it, showed that consumers said that they are willing to pay more for packaging for sustainability elements now than they used to. So that was, that was a plus. We've seen a positive movement and a willingness to pay. It still ranks fifth or sixth on the list of key buying factors, which means it doesn't translate very efficiently to actual increases. Other than certain sub-segments of the market, it will take uh, getting closer to parity or slight premiums for real uh, accelerated adoption for the mass market. I think that there's a, probably a difference depending on where you are in the world, the geographic region, and also what generation of consumer you're talking to. And we've seen the whole topic of sustainability as it relates to packaging evolve around the world at different rates. I think consumers will increasingly be focused on things that are good for themselves and good for the environment. You see this with the analogy that, that I would point to is, is the ability to price for organic products. There's a subset set of consumers that will pay a premium for organic products, and it's a pretty significant premium. As it relates to packaging, the cost of making a more sustainable package, if I could use that term, 
versus a more conventional package is insignificant as it relates to the retail price. And so if I think of some examples where we've moved companies from uh, a package made of purely virgin material to one made of 100% recycled material, let's say for a beverage container or a, a food container for mayonnaise or something like that, yeah, there's a premium on the package cost, but if you were to just flow that through to the retail price, you would have to raise retail price by one or 2% to fully compensate for that extra cost. Which would be within the, the range of where consumers are indicating they're willing to pay. Right. Our research has shown up to 5% in many segments. Yeah, so 5% on retail of most of the FMCG space would create a lot of headroom for, pack, for the package cost. I think there's a number of factors at play. You have supply demand economics like you have with any commodity. And to some extent, the pandemic held back the growth of supply. If I think about a commodity like PET, which is the, the plastic that goes into most beverage containers uh, in the U.S., as an example, collection rates were down during the pandemic. So supply was a bit constrained. I think on the other side, you have demand, almost, in, almost um, infinite demand. And by that, I mean, you know, for, for products that can use recycled material, which is most of the things that Amcor packages, um, we could convert every pound or every ton of recycled material that we could get access to. So the demand side of, the, of that equation is, is almost exponential. Just to underscore that, we, we added up the aspirations of the top 25 FMCG consumer product companies for the, the percent of recycled content they wanted. And that added up to three times what's actually collected today. So the demand is outstripped supply by factor three, which will, will take some real movement for that to catch up. I'm just curious, you know, Amcor has a really strong innovation capability. Where are you seeing the most promising innovations coming? Anything that we can get a sneak peek at or what you're real excited about? So if you take some of the big categories that we participate in, uh, protein packaging, um, where you have high barrier requirements, and quite often that's supplied with types of plastic that are not compatible with existing recycling streams. Um, or some of the medical packaging that uses PVC, which is a product of concern for a number of reasons, including the end-of-life profile. Um, our ability to innovate those materials of concern out of the package without the brand owner or the consumer have to, having to sacrifice any functionality or change out their plants or their, their equipment um, is where we really set ourselves apart. So those would be two examples. And I imagine that a lot of innovation can come out of collaborating with your customers, right? The CPG companies, the food manufacturers, the online retailers. Do you have any stories there that are pretty cool? Like a customer comes to you and says, you know, we were thinking about X. Can you help us develop a packaging solution for that? That's what we do all day. Um, and, and it relates to sustainability, but it's also just thinking about the consumer back and how that finds its way up the food chain. If I take um, the, the coffee market as one example, um, the consumers used to consume coffee, you know, in, in, in bulk, you would buy a half kilo or, or a pound of coffee in a can or in a big pouch. I think it became pretty clear to the brand owners that are active in that space that there's a convenience opportunity there if you can provide consumers with, with, with a coffee option that's actually easier. And that's where you get things like Nespresso. Um, that took some package development work as well. So with that customer, we had a long period of development to come up with a, a package to support that single single that single that use system. That would be one example. I think there's others where the brand owner has a format that they're comfortable with today. Um, 
pet food would be one. The category has gravitated toward a stand-up pouch. Consumers have come to really like this format. It's lightweight, etc. But the challenge is making that product more environmentally friendly because it's made of a set of materials put together, in some cases nine, in those case of this product, over nine different types of materials sandwiched together, which are then incompatible with each other in the recycling stream. So our innovation challenge and, and opportunity was to make that product in a way that had a better environmental footprint at the end and not compromising any of the consumer functionality that, that, that has been expected. Um, and so that's just a good example of the kinds of things that our innovation capabilities enable us to do. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is, uh, is smart packaging. Um, say a little bit about technology and how you can envision it being embedded into packaging in the future and then what kinds of uses and use cases it could serve. There's a couple of big themes or areas of interest, I would say, in, in this space of, let's call it connected packaging. So the first would be the ability to sort of track the package through the value chain and then monitor the consumer or allow the consumer to be connected to the brand owner for things like loyalty programs um, you know, and what have you, but also for the brand owner to track the movements of the package and, and understand behavior a little bit better to more tar- better target their, their marketing efforts. That, that's one form of connected packaging. So that's one. The other thing which we're increasingly excited about, and it's, 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 uh, it's, it's pretty nascent at this point, is just the ability to create like a digital watermark on a package that identifies its, its components and then helps direct that package at the end of life to the right waste management stream. That's emerging. It's not necessarily commercial yet, but it's, there's a, a few initiatives around that space that we're pretty excited about because it would facilitate the waste management sorting and separation that's necessary to make the recycling process more efficient. You know, David, it occurs to me that you didn't answer the, the question that you had posed to Ron about what are you, what are you most excited about? Um, what are some cool innovations that you are looking forward to in the packaging world? I think this whole um, IoT digitization trend uh, is just beginning to accelerate. And the integration of packaging into consumer communication and, and product um, shelf life is going to increase. You know, for example, there's a re- new technology of rewritable labels on packages that have the ability to digitally change the price as a product gets close to its uh, end of use date to decrease the price on on um, perishable products to try and decrease food waste and move products more dynamically. And I, I think this whole integration is something we've just started to scratch the surface on. That is cool. So it's like if yogurt is about to go bad, then it becomes cheaper. But it dynamically lowers the price as opposed to having to re-sticker or relabel or find them in a retail establishment. Wow. That seems very uh, minority report, right? Like so futuristic. <laughs> How far away is that, do you think, David? There's an early stage technology company uh, out there now that's, um, that's piloting it. Cool. Okay. Here's another question. And this is one that we typically ask um, in each of these episodes. So if each of you could give a piece of advice to a forward-thinking brand that wants to make, in this case, packaging a competitive advantage, what advice would you give? Well, I would say lean into it and not be apologizing for it would be the first thing. So the, the package is at the core of many of the brands that we support. If you think about why would a consumer pay 
a few dollars for any number of products, crackers, uh, a candy bar, um, you know, any, anything like uh, any food item, why would a consumer pay, to go back to the rice example or coffee, why would you pay, you know, a dollar per serving for a single use system coffee pod when you could buy, you know, a pound of coffee and, and take that unit cost down to 20 cents or, or, or even lower. The reason primarily is packaging. And so I think that there's, um, there's an opportunity, for some brand owners have been great at this and others maybe a, a bit, a bit uh, not as much, but there's an opportunity to just lean into it and embrace the, the benefits that it provides for their brand and their business and not necessarily move back from the topic because there's an environmental requirement now that maybe wasn't there 10 or 20 years ago. You know, I, I think the consumer can have everything they have come to benefit from and the brand owners can provide all of that and also do the right thing by the environment. Uh, but we can't be sp- scared of talking about it. And, you know, I think the brand owners should continue to lean into it. And those that are the most progressive are doing that. I love that point of lean into it. Where everyone's talking about purpose now, right? What's the purpose? Why, why are we doing things? And when you take a step back and look at the purpose of packaging, it's to extend the, the food and medical supply chains to the world. It's a almost a trillion dollar global industry. It, it touches almost every human being on the planet to extend these supply chains so people get fresh hygienic products um, that they need. I love it. Lean into it. Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Rahilly. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. We'll see you in two weeks. 